listening to the Citizens Church podcast. Citizens Church exists to saturate Bryan College Station, Texas with the good news and love of Jesus. To learn more about Citizens Church, visit us online at citizensbcs.com. Today's message is from Pastor Ben Rush. Hey, we're going to read the word for today. If you want to get your Bible, your phone, whatever that may be, we're going to be in Ephesians 4, starting in verse 1. As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you are called to one hope when you are called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But to each one of us, grace has been given, as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, when he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. What does he ascended mean, except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens, in order to fill the whole universe. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, the teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people and their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become, in every respect, the mature body of him who is head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. So I tell you this, insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as Gentiles do, in the futility of their own thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to the sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity. They are full of greed. That, however, is not the way of life you have learned. When you heard about Christ and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Thanks, man. The National Wellness Institute has developed what they call the six dimensions of wellness. Have you guys heard about this before? Anybody in the room? No? Yeah, a couple of y'all. Good job. Here's the list. Emotional wellness, occupational wellness, physical wellness, social wellness, intellectual wellness, and spiritual wellness. Over time, two have been added to the list, environmental wellness and financial wellness. At some point in your life, you have probably been told or even thought to yourself that you need to focus on all of these areas, all of these dimensions to achieve optimal balance and overall health in your life. Here's some common strategies that you might have seen. Meditation, deep breathing, yoga, walking, running, CrossFit. Anybody, where's my CrossFit? Ice baths, ice baths, man. Whew. 
acupuncture, paleo, keto, gluten-free, dairy-free, vegan, pescatarian, low-fat, grounding. Not low-fat grounding, but grounding. Therapy, accountability, accountability groups, life coaches, journaling, financial advisors, spiritual directors, boundaries, reducing Wi-Fi and 5G radiation in your home. And while these things aren't bad necessarily, don't misunderstand what I'm saying, where does the way of Jesus fit into this list? Because if we're not careful, we will treat the way of Jesus as an optional add-on, an elective into our already busy lives. Like, just sort of do the grounding thing. Make sure you're eating this and not that. But make sure you also add this Jesus stuff onto your schedule too. You know, deep breathing, eat this, not that, get in therapy, journal. Also, go to church on Sundays, join a community, serve at church, give 10%, fast, you know, like as much as possible. Read scripture, the whole Bible in 2023 Sabbath weekly, evangelize, memorize scripture, serve the poor, be the best at work and school because you represent Jesus and Jesus is the best. Start a Bible study there also in your free time and spend an hour with Jesus every day. I'm kidding, sort of. Here's what I'm trying to say. Jesus did not come to become an optional add-on into your already busy lives. He didn't want to be an add-on into the eight areas or the eight dimensions of your wellness journey. Jesus came to destroy the works of darkness and to make people well. In 1998, I was diagnosed with chronic fatigue syndrome. It's kind of like a catch-all kitchen drawer thing. Throw it in there. We don't know what's wrong with you. Diagnosis. Later on, doctors added hypothyroidism to the list, then depression, then anxiety, ADHD, phantom gallstones, chronic prostatitis, and then more hormonal imbalances. I've taken medication for one thing, and it's made another thing worse, sometimes two things. One medication I take creates a condition called polycythemia, which means my blood is thick, and then I have to go to the Brazos Blood Center and donate blood every two to four weeks, which means I have track marks on my arm like a pastor with a past, but not that kind of past. And after spending most of my adult life chasing all of these symptoms, going from doctor to doctor, holistic medicine, supplements, herbs, prescriptions, special diets, all kind of testing, this last year I was diagnosed with chronic active Epstein-Barr virus. Translation, if anybody's heard of Epstein-Barr, that's basically, it's mono. So I got mono when I was 16 or 17 years old, and I've had it for 25 years. I win. Doctors say that this is the root cause, that we've discovered kind of what has caused all of these other things because my body is constantly fighting a virus, focusing on that as the priority. And Jesus came to destroy the works of the enemy and to make people well. And the reason I've shared some of this today is to tell you that I am not the poster child of wellness, guys. I'm just not. That's not the point of this message, like copy me or whatever. I am a mess. While I'm unburdening, I kind of want to just go ahead and share. We confessed earlier. I just want to continue that a little bit. Just share with my, my junk with you guys. Is that all right? Just keep going. Emotionally, I am avoidant. 
which means that uh, I don't know how to deal with emotions. I, this is my attachment style. I do not like conflict or confrontation. I've had to learn how to do it. It once was a major part of my job. It was very uncomfortable. I did not like it. It's not my preference. I would rather not feel emotions. Like if I watch a sad movie, I, I often will stop it or go somewhere else because I don't want to be manipulated emotionally. Right? Anybody with me? As a child, I learned to be self-sufficient. I was the strong one, but I also learned how to minimize my feelings, which has mostly left me emotionally underdeveloped. And I've had a lot of work to do over the years. So what else can I confess? I'm a perfectionist. I can be critical of myself and others. I get distracted easily. I obsess over books and articles and the news and all kinds of stuff because I want to appear smarter than I am. I have never been good at saving money. I procrastinate working out. I can be a workaholic. Spiritually, I have a hard time discerning God's voice. I can treat my time with God like a checkbox, just something to be mastered. But Jesus came to destroy the works of darkness and to make people well. Following Jesus is a pursuit of becoming well, becoming whole, becoming mature. Jesus, we've been talking about being formed by Jesus over the last few weeks, and we've said that Jesus wants us to be humble. He wants us to be hungry. He wants us to be holy, and he wants us to be healthy. But what is health exactly? Like, how do you define it? How do you break it down? How do you become healthy? Health is defined as wholeness, being sound or being well. In the biblical health, there is no one word in Greek or in Hebrew for health. There are actually many words that refer to many different categories. Here are just a few of them. Wholeness, maturity, repair and restore, safety, wellness, soundness. Anytime you see those words, they might actually be translated as health. All are translated in different ways. We could say then that you are missing, if you are missing something, you are not healthy. Are you with me? Can we agree on that? Or if you are immature, you're not healthy. Yes? If there's something that is broken, it's not healthy. If you are in a situation that's not safe or you don't feel safe, that's not healthy. When you're not well, this is an easy one, you're not healthy. If someone is giving you advice, but it is not sound advice, it's not healthy advice. We saw in our text today in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 3, uh, look, look just quickly at what Paul said. Until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of Man and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. The Greek word for health is teleos. Can you say teleos? It's mature. It's perfect. It's the highest standard. It's complete. It's fully developed. And so, until we all reach unity in the faith, in the knowledge of the Son of God, we are not healthy. We aren't mature unless that happens. We haven't attained the whole measure of the fullness of the stature of Christ. If we're not mature, we're not healthy. If we're not whole, we're not healthy. If we are missing something, we are not healthy. Y'all still with me? Okay, a couple of months ago, I went to New York City uh, for a society of pastors and leaders that I'm a part of. Ashley and I got to go up there seeking renewal of the ch- uh, in the church in the West. 
And I heard this brilliant talk by John Tyson. And so with his permission, I want to share some of his thoughts. John shared a plan to make compelling missional disciples for the renewal of secular culture. And he unpacked that a little bit, actually he unpacked it a lot. And since that time, November and November, three months ago, I have continued to review this diagram. Here's, here's the diagram, basically. Uh, he starts with, well, can you go two or three ahead? Presence, formation, and mission. He starts with this paradigm, and he says that the church is people who must carry his presence. In order to, to be healthy, we have to carry the presence of God. Second, the church is the people of Jesus who are being formed into his image. And finally, the church is the people of Jesus who are on mission to share his good news. Jesus wants us to be healthy. He wants us to be whole. That's why he came. He wants to make us well. And then he is inviting us into the process of making all things new, making every area redeemed. He's invited us to participate with him in this renewal of all things. This means we have to be the people of his presence. We have to be people formed into his image, and we have to be people on mission to share the good news of Jesus. Here's the deal. Most of us only focus on one of the three. It just kind of comes naturally to us. The problem is, is that when we focus on only one of these things at the exclusion of others, we are missing something. We're not mature. We're not whole. We're not complete. We're not healthy. And this is the part that stuck with me. If you'll go to the next, yes, that one. If you are someone that's focused primarily on the presence of God, the danger is hyper-spirituality. If you're someone who's focused on formation, the spiritual disciplines, it can create a, a form of spiritual narcissism. And if, if you're totally focused on mission, it's all about evangelism, it's all about the mission of God, it's all about serving the poor, You've got this secular renewal kind of mindset. And so people think this way naturally. We think, like on this chart, you can probably identify with one of the three, presence, formation, or mission. And we know that in order to be whole, we need to focus on more than just one area. And so what happens for a lot of us is that we actually will try to pick another one and just like add it onto like the way that God's actually already wired us. But what happens is if you, if you combine presence and mission, we just become shallow servants. If we combine mission and formation, all we are is focused on social activism. If we, we, we combine presence and formation, we're, we're spiritually selfish void, missing out on what God has for us. They're not bad on our own, bad on their own, these things, but they're not a picture of someone like Paul was saying, uh, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. In order to be healthy, in order to be whole, in order to be complete, we need to be compelling missional disciples working for the renewal of secular culture. That's the intersection of all three of these things. That is a picture of somebody who is whole, somebody who is complete, Somebody who has nothing missing. It starts, first of all, I'm just going to break these down one by one, with, uh, with people who are focused on the tangible presence of God. God gives us the promise of his presence. It's all over scripture. I'm just going to read three of them if you'll bump ahead to a couple slides. Uh, Exodus chapter 33, verse 15. Moses said to him, if your presence, talking to God, if your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. Like, I don't want to go where you're saying that I'm supposed to go unless you go with me. 
the presence of God. Matthew chapter 28, verse 20, Jesus said in the Great Commission, teach them to obey everything that I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always, even to the end of the age. This is the promise of the presence of God. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 25 says, as the secrets of their hearts are laid bare, so they will fall down and worship God, exclaiming, God is really among you. The presence of God. That is what we're looking for. We want to be people of the presence of God. When people talk about citizens, they want to talk about this or that or the other, you know, whatever, that they would talk about us as people that they say, like, the presence of God surely is among these people. That, that that would be said of you, not just us as a body, but you individually, that you would be someone that carries his presence in your heart, in your home, in our church, in this region. And think about, like, Asbury Revival has been all over Instagram. I've got some friends there right now uh, that went to Asbury. If you haven't heard about it, it's a university in Kentucky. There's a seminary attached to it. They started chapel services a couple of weeks ago. It's just kind of gone, continue to go on and on and on. There's public confession. Uh, There's worship going on all the time. People have been praying for revival in this place, in this city, uh, in that city specifically for about 50 years. There was another revival in 1973, and it's just continued on and on. And it's, it's amazing to hear about. And there's, what's, what's uh, just like soapbox moment for a second. What's also interesting about the Asbury Revival is the number of Christians who feel the need to go on Instagram or Facebook or whatever and tell us what they think about it. It's like totally not necessary at all. Anyway. Here's what I want to say about the Asbury Revival. It's amazing. It's great. But why not here? Like why not now. What is it about that place? Is it something special? That place may be so, but what about here? Aren't we all God's children? Doesn't he want to renew every space and every place? What about here? What about now? Jesus came to make us well, and we want to be healthy missional disciples for the renewal of our culture. Next is counterformation. This is for there are four different spheres to that. We have to be formed by Jesus. We, we want to think, act, and love like Jesus. And this process is made up of four steps. Formation, deformation, counterformation, transformation. I'm stealing this from Tyson as well. I'm not that smart. Just FYI. Formation, deformation, counterformation, transformation. Formation is formed into the image of Jesus. This is what happens in formation. Two weeks ago, I said that the church exists to destroy the dominion of Satan and to increase the kingdom of Jesus. This happens in formation. The second step is deformation. We read that earlier. I think we've got an excerpt on the screen of Ephesians chapter 4, verse 18 through 24. I'm going to read it slowly. They are darkened, talking about the world, in their understanding— and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality as to indulge in every kind of impurity, and they are full of greed. That, however, is not the way of life you learned when you heard about Christ and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, 
which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. We have, we have to be deformed. There, these people were once darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance, but they were taught in Jesus in accordance with the truth to, to, with their regard to the, their former way of life, to put that old self, that darkened understanding, that separation from God away, to be deformed from the way that the world has been forming them. The third step is counterformation. Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2 says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Jesus is the standard. Jesus is the standard. It is possible to have an amazing church culture that isn't the culture of Jesus. Jesus is the standard. Galatians chapter 5, verse 19 says this, The acts of the flesh are obvious sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. I know I'm reading a lot of scripture. I got one more. This is truth. Transformation is step number four, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 17. It says, now the Lord is the spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is spirit. In counterformation, we have to deal with our sin. We have to take sin seriously. We deal with it in four ways. First, the renunciation of blatant sins. Second, the renunciation of willful disobedience. Third, the unconscious sins and omissions we confess and repent of. And four, deep-seated structures of being and behavior. Now, next slide. We are comfortable with the top two. Renunciation of blatant sins. It's like, oh yeah, I need to confess about this or that either. And renunciation of willful disobedience. Like God told me to do this, but I, I, I was really reluctant. I didn't want to do that. I, I decided to do this other thing instead. We're good at those types of confession. The third and fourth ones that you probably can't see because of the lights and everything. Unconscious sins and omissions. It's a little bit more difficult. I remember, I never forget this. It really stuck with me, but I have a pastor friend that was preaching and he told the story of, uh, this guy's been married for, I don't know, 15, 20 years, something like that. He's around my age, 40, 41, 42 and he confessed, not publicly, but he told a story of confessing to his wife something uh, that was not in the number one or number two categories, in the number three category. And this guy's been following Jesus forever. He was a church planner in New York City. He's now in the Woodlands, Texas. And he basically had a uh, sexual dream about somebody he did not know. And he was so overcome with conviction 
of this unconscious disconnect where he was disloyal to his wife in his mind. He, he did not want there to be any daylight between him and Jesus. And he went to her and said, I, I need to confess this to you. We're not, we're not good at that. We're not good at confessing the unconscious ways that sin has corrupted our lives. Or maybe the sins of omissions, things that we really aren't really aware of that we do that are sinful. We're also not great at confessing, repenting, our deep-seated structures of being and behavior. We'd rather just kind of gloss over and, and move on. Things that we've been guilty of as a society, racial injustice, stuff like that. Counterformation, tangible presence. The third one, sacrificial mission. To follow Jesus is to care about the lost. It's to care about the lost. It's to care about the poor and the disenfranchised in our city. The priority of heaven is reaching people. It's not just brokenness. It's sin. People talk about, oh, it's oh, the brokenness of this, that. No, no, no. That's a nice way of saying it. It's sin. It's caring about the issues of justice in our world. This is what Isaiah said. God said through Isaiah, in Isaiah chapter 58, verse 6, it's talking about a fast that pleased the Lord. Verse 6, is not this the kind of fasting that I have chosen to loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free and break every yoke? Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter? When you see the naked to clothe them and to not turn away from your own flesh and blood, then your light will break forth like the dawn and your healing will quickly appear. Then your righteousness will go before you and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Then you will call and the Lord will answer. You will cry for help and he will say, here I am. If you do away with the yoke of oppression, with the pointing finger and malicious talk. There is a big, big gap between what people want in the church and what Jesus is doing in the world globally. Big gap between what Jesus is doing and where the church, what people want in the church. There's a big gap between what people want and scripture as well. But remember, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God is much bigger than citizens, Bryan College Station. The kingdom of God is much bigger than the United States of America. The kingdom of God is bigger than Bryan College Station. We must get in touch with what God is doing in the world. Where is he at work? And then we go there and respond. Begin every day by asking, what is one thing, God, that you can tell me about that neighbor across the street that never comes out, that's only out every once in a while? What's one thing you can tell me about them? Because we are embodied by the power of the Holy Spirit. He can speak to us. God speaks all the time. He's always speaking. I just read it uh, today in Psalm, chapter, Psalm, Psalm 50. Anybody else read? I'm gonna go there. I'm just go on there, Psalm 50, the mighty one, God, the Lord, speaks and summons the earth from the rising of the sun to where it sets. The mighty one, God, the Lord. Three names are listed in the original Hebrew, El, Elohim, and Yahweh. God's got many names, many names of God to describe his power, his majesty. He speaks. He's always speaking. What would it be like if you asked the Lord, 
hey, hey, God, what's one way I can love my neighbor that's really cantankerous, that's super annoying? I really don't want to love them, but can you tell me a way to love them? Where is he at work? Go there. Ask him, what do you want me to know today about sharing your love everywhere that I go? What do you, can you give me a picture of what that looks like? Listen and then just do it. Jesus wants us to be healthy. He wants us to be balanced, sound, mature, filled with the fullness of the stature of Christ, formed into his image, not missing anything, whole, complete, full, full of joy, full of purpose, walking in your identity. Do you want to experience God's tangible presence? Do you want to experience God's tangible presence here as it is in heaven? Maybe the wellness journey that we talked about earlier is not, it's not working for you. It's not going too hot. Maybe you still feel empty and void, like you're missing something. Jesus has been treated as if he is just an add-on or, or are you being formed by Christ, by Jesus? Culture is forming you, as I said earlier, and Jesus wants us to be counterformed, transformed into his image. So I want to end with this. Are you well? Are you well? Are you healthy? Why don't you ask the Lord? Why don't you ask a friend? Because some of us may say, yeah, I'm good. We're good at saying that. I'm fine. I'm great. I'm not talking about your 401k, your work-life balance. I'm talking about your soul. Are you well? Are you healthy? The first step that I mentioned earlier is confession of sin. Confession of sin. This is where it all begins. I had no idea we'd be doing that today in communion. It's just the way that the Lord locked it up together, lined it up. This is where it all begins. If you want to be healthy, it begins with confession. You've got to confess your sin. My friend Jamie Winship says this, confession is telling God the truth about what you really believe about him, yourself, and others. It's the greatest act, a sacrament. God loves honest confession. Confession is the beginning of genuine transformation. If you don't tell God your truth, how can he enlighten your reality with his truth? Confession is simple. Confession is not saying, I'm sorry, God. I'm so sorry, God. God, I'm so sorry. God, I'm, I'm really sorry this time. I'm so sorry. That's not confession. Confession is telling God the truth about what you're feeling, about what you're experiencing. And sometimes we aren't aware of what the truth actually is. So someone in this room that might be uh, struggling with pornography addiction, the cycle is that you go over and over again and just say, I'm sorry for this. I'm sorry for looking at it again. I'm so sorry. I'm sorry, God. I'm for real this time. I'm, I'm really sorry. And Jesus wants to make you well. He wants to make you whole. He doesn't want you to be stuck in the cycle of shame and regret and guilt. He wants to set you free. And so what, you, what I'm inviting us to do is to tell God the truth. Not just, hey, this is what happened. I've got this addiction. But God, what do you want me to know about this? Where is there some type of feeling inside of me? What is the, the root cause of this addiction? What, where did this come from? Where did it start? I want to tell you the truth about it. I believe that maybe I think that 
you're not good enough to really save me. That's some true statement that you could tell God about this addiction. I don't believe that you could actually save me. I believe that I'm really stuck in this pattern. I think it's always going to be like this because there's this brain chemistry thing. That, I mean, God, don't you know what the scientists say about this stuff? So yeah, like I, I guess I'm just stuck. And God is saying, no, you're not stuck. Who said that you were stuck? Who said that? Was that me? I didn't say that. You're not stuck. That's, that's a lie from Satan. And then you take that lie and you confess that you've believed a lie that you will always be stuck. That's what confession is. And you receive the truth from God. What's the truth about this? I'm not saying it's going to be easy, you know, or whatever, that it's all just going to go away instantaneously. That's not what I'm up here saying. I know many people that have, have battled with pornography for years. It's been a part of their story. But there was a divine moment in, in most of these people's lives where it started with confession and telling the truth to God. And they got to the root cause of really what was going on. And they received an exchange. And they've been set free. I can think of two people right now, pastors, preachers, that have lived in freedom. It starts with telling the truth to God fear and guilt and shame are always going to be the tools of the enemy. He's wanting to come in and confuse you and say, well, I'm afraid, you know, public confession is actually good. And so with like pornography in specific, like, I don't really want to go and tell anyone that that feels a little uh, unsafe or whatever. Okay. Why does it feel unsafe? Let's just take it to God right now. Like God, why do I feel unsafe? Well, I feel ashamed. Okay. God, what do you want me to tell me about the shame? Like what, what do you have in exchange for the shame. I feel guilty. Those are the three ways that the enemy tries to lock us up. Fear, guilt, and shame. When we take those things to the Father, we confess what's really going on in our heart. We tell him the truth. We receive an exchange. We can experience freedom. We can experience life. We can experience joy. We can experience health. Jesus came to destroy the works of darkness and to make people well. I'm going to read something from Luke chapter Four, verse 14, you know the story. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread through the whole countryside. He was teaching in their synagogues, and everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. He stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight to the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. He began by saying to them, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. This is Jesus' mission, guys. He didn't come to heal the healed. He came to heal the sick. And we're all sick. And we need his help. We want to be healthy. The only way to get healthy is to go to him, to confess and receive the gift of salvation. Jesus was anointed to proclaim good news, and that good news is for you. Proclaim freedom for prisoners, spiritual freedom where you feel stuck, you're bound, you're locked up, 
You can't move. There's freedom. Recovery of sight to the blind. That's physical healing, maybe spiritually as well. You're just blind to what God is doing all around you. He wants to set you free. So let's, let's pray together. Why don't you bow your heads? Thanks for joining us today for the message. We hope it was encouraging to you. To learn more about Citizens Church, including gathering times and locations, or to give financial support, please visit citizensbcs.com. And again, thanks for listening to the Citizens Church Podcast.